All right, Ezekiel chapter 23. I'm only going to read verses 1 through 4, and we'll start off with just verses 1 through 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. There were two women, the daughters of one mother. They played the whore in Egypt. They played the whore in their youth. There their breasts were pressed and their virgin bosoms handled. Ohola was the name of the elder, and Oholiba the name of her sister. They became mine. They bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Ohola is Samaria, and Oholiba is Jerusalem. Now, like I said before we started our recording tonight, we're going to go through this chapter piece by piece instead of me reading the whole thing. This will be easier to dissect it and less likely for us to miss some valuable, valuable truths. Now, this chapter is going to describe Israel and Judah. Remember, Israel is the northern kingdom and Judah is the southern kingdom. Israel and Judah's spiritual infidelity towards God, the one who chose them. It's also going to chronicle their unfaithfulness toward him all the way back to Egypt and how even though God judged Israel for being an adulteress, the northern kingdom was judged first, Judah should have learned from what happened to her sister, but didn't, and therefore would be in a stricter judgment. What happens to Judah is worse than what happens to Israel because of that. So put a bookmark here in Ezekiel 23 and go with me to Luke chapter 12. I'm going to show you a couple of verses here, verses 47 and 48. You know the scripture that says, the one who knows what he ought to do but doesn't do it sins. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verses 47 through 48. Jesus says, And a servant that knew his master's will, but did not get ready, or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. As you've probably heard people say, all heard the people quote that, whom much is given, much is required. And we thought that that's always been tied to rich people. Actually, in the context of the scripture, when the scripture talks about to whom much is given, much is required, it's talking to those who have had a lot of insight given by God light revealed by God. And as you're going to see, as we go through our chapter of God revealing their history, even though the northern kingdom sinned and that God judged them because of it, he kept the southern kingdom around and they copied in the sins. And since they knew better and they saw the judgment that happened to their sister, God said this judgment will be even stricter for the southern kingdom than it was for the northern kingdom. Now, when back in Ezekiel 23, when it talks about how there were two daughters of one mother, the one mother just simply refers to when they were a united kingdom under David and Solomon. Remember, there was just one kingdom at one time. But after Solomon and then came after David, then came Solomon. As you know, the, when Solomon died, the kingdom was split. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Ohola, referring to Samaria or the northern kingdom. Listen to what it means. It means her own tabernacle. In the Hebrew, Ohola which referring to Samaria means her own tabernacle. Go to 1 Kings chapter 12. Now you remember there was, according to God's de design and decree, there was a tabernacle or a temple built in Jerusalem, correct? And God made very clear that that was the only place that he was to be worshipped. But as you're about to see, when the kingdom split in 1 Kings chapter 12, they decided to build a place of worship in the northern kingdom. 1 Kings chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 16 through 33. It says, And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, 
The people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their place, sorry, went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was trans taskmaster over the, over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot and flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, and they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel, there was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up against or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and he built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam the king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. How many times is the nation of Israel going to do that all through their history? We saw that even back in the wilderness, didn't we, when they came out of Egypt? And they set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar, so he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. And he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel, and he went up to the altar to make offerings. So when the kingdom split, the northern kingdom decided, the king of the northern kingdom decided, well, if the people keep going down to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, their hearts will turn back to David's side and David's offspring. And so they decided, he just, Jeremiah decided, I'm going to build a place of worship up here. And he then said, this is where we're to worship. Go with me to John chapter 4. You'll see this whole episode that we read about carried over all the way to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, look at verses 19 and 20. If you remember, Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well. And in verse 19, the woman said to Jesus, she said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Well, where was Jesus meeting with this woman, by the way? In Samaria. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And of course, Jesus then teaches her about the fact that true worshippers worship in spirit and truth. But at the same time, you see, that whole conundrum had carried over even to the day, time of Jesus' day. And so the Ohola, which represents Samaria, the northern kingdom, it means her own tabernacle. In other words, she made her own place of worship. Oholiba, which refers to Jerusalem or the southern kingdom, 
means my tabernacle is in her. So Ohola means her own tabernacle. Oholiba means my tabernacle is in her. So these two sisters that came from one mother of the northern kingdom, they both, as he said here in the passage we read, they played the whore all the way back in Egypt. They were unfaithful to God, even though he had chosen her and called her, revealed himself, showed his love to her. And continually, they kept worshiping other gods. And he sees that as sexual immorality, unfaithfulness. Go back to Ezekiel 23. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10. Ohola played the whore while she was mine, and she lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors clothed in purple, governors and commanders, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. She bestowed her whoring upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. She did not give up her whoring that she had begun in Egypt. For in her youth men had lain with her and handled her virgin bosom and poured out their whoring lust upon her. Therefore I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, that in, uh, after whom, sorry, into her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians after whom she lusted. These uncovered her nakedness, they seized her sons and daughters, and as for her, they killed her with the sword, and she became a byword among women when judgment had been executed on her. So the northern kingdom turns to the Assyrians for protection instead of God, and they also began to worship the idols of the Assyrians, and th therefore thusly being un spiritually unfaithful to God. So God does what, according to what we just read? When they turned to the Assyrians, what did He do? He handed them over to them. And folks, the Bible is very, very clear that God lovingly will always say, don't do this, it's not for your best. Don't do this, I don't want that for you. Don't do this, I'm your best. But after a while, when we continue to walk in disobedience, God ultimately says, you want to do that? Go right ahead. Do it. It's the only way you'll understand that that's really not what you want. So he handed them over to the Assyrians. And the Assyrians conquered them, and he took them captive in 722 B.C. Go to, put a bookmark here again in chapter 23, and go back with me to 2 Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 23. It says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, the king of Judah, Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom at this time, Hosea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, the king of Egypt, and offered no, no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria, and he placed them in Hala and on the Habor River of Gozan and the cities of the Medes. <clears throat> and this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. And he walked in the customs of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the king of, kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. 
They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on the, every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places, and as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served, the, served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes, in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers, and that I sent to you by my servants the prophets. But they would not listen, but they were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images, two calves, and they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of the plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord, and he made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins of, that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. So here we see the whole history again right there in 2 Kings. Now let me just talk to you for a second here. We've already seen this pattern in the scripture, and God says this over and over. He says, look, when you continue to reject my pleas, when you continue to reject my offers, when you continue to reject my grace, there comes a point where I will let you have what you think you want. And folks, let me just say this to you. The United States is in trouble. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, the Bible is very, very clear that first off, that God has revealed himself through creation and all are without excuse. But it says the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and wickedness because men suppress the truth. Even though they know that he exists, they suppress that truth and they worship created things and all that. But as you go on in that passage in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, you will see that eventually because of their not acknowledging the truth, the scripture says that God gives them over to their shameful lusts. And then it clearly says men with men, women with women, and he allows them to just go down that road. Folks, listen closely to what I'm saying to you. When we watch our nation, even the Supreme Court, say that homosexual marriage is okay now. As we watch individual states say that people can do whatever they want, marriage has been redefined by man. It's an evidence that God has given us over to our shameful lusts. That doesn't mean we don't still pray. That doesn't mean that we don't still seek God and seek his mercy. But I want you to be alert and be aware of the fact that the same God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, eventually says to all nations, you had your chance. The reason why God sent the nation of Israel into the Canaanite land to wipe them all out is because they had been given much opportunity to respond. And way back in Genesis chapter 15, when God is speaking to Abraham and telling how he's going to be a mighty nation and he's going to have more descendants than the sand and the sea, 
he says, you and your, your descendants are going to go into slavery for 400 years. But they're going to come out with great wealth. And they're going to go into this land that I promised you. Listen closely to what he says next. But he says, the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure yet. But the end of 400 years, this sin had reached its full measure. And that's why God had the nation of Israel go into that promised land. And what did he say they were to do to all the people? Wipe them all out. Kill them all. Why? Because it was their time for judgment. He had given them opportunity, and they were to wipe them all out. Sadly, the same nation of Israel that had been worshiping idols in Egypt, whom God had revealed himself to them in the wilderness and brought them out, they, even during the wilderness time period, made the golden calves and said, these are the gods that actually brought you out of Egypt. As they went into these lands, even though they wiped them out as God told them to, for the most part, they then were worshiping the same idols and things that got those other nations in trouble with God. Well, wait a minute. God didn't reveal himself to them like he did the nation of Israel. Yeah, but he did reveal himself to them. The scripture is very, very clear that all are without excuse. And God was patient with the Canaanites for 400 years at least. I don't know how much longer we have as a nation, but if there is not a turning, if there is not a repenting, God who has already given us over may allow us to be taken over. I don't know what's going to happen next, but as I study the scriptures and I look at it, I have a real hard time finding us in the last days. I don't know what that means specifically and how that's going to play out, but I'm asking you, pray for your president. Pray for the leadership. Pray for our country. Seek God for his mercy that he would hold off his hand of judgment. We've seen that God over history in the scriptures, when people sought him, he did stay his hand for a time. Pray that that happens. But don't be ignorant to what's going on in our nation. And don't be ignorant to who God is. There comes a point where God says, you want to be like the rest of the world? You don't want to be a separate special nation that I made you when I created you, America? You have it. You want to be like everybody else? I'm going to let you get infected with everybody else. And you'll become like everybody else. And folks, unfortunately, that's happening in our day. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 23. Look at verses 11 through 27. Ezekiel 23, <clears throat> verse 11. Her sister, this is the southern kingdom, Oholiba, saw this, and she became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoring, which was worse than that of her sister. She lusted after the Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors clothed in full armor, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And I saw that she was defiled. They both, both took the same way. But she carried her whoring further. She saw men portrayed on the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, wearing belts on their waists and flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, a likeness of Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea. When she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. And the Babylonians came to her in the bed of, into the bed of love, and they defiled her with the whoring, their whoring lust. And after she was defiled by them, she turned from them in disgust. When she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her as I had turned in disgust from her sister. Yet she increased her whoring. 
remembering the days of her youth when she played the whore in the land of Egypt, and she lusted after her lovers there, whose members were like those of donkeys, and whose issue was that of the horses. Thus you longed for the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians handled your bosom and pressed your young breasts. Therefore, O, o, o Holiba, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stir up against you your lovers, from whom you turned in disgust. And I will bring them against you from every side, the Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, Pecod and Shoah and Koah, and all the Assyrians with them, desirable young men, governors and commanders, all of them, officers and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. And they shall come against you from the north with chariots and wagons and hosts of peoples. They shall set themselves up against you on every side with the buckler and shield and helmet. And I'll commit the judgment to them, and they shall judge you according to their judgments." And I will direct my jealousy against you, and that they may deal with you in fury. They shall cut off your nose and your ears, and your survivors shall fall by the sword. They shall seize your sons and your daughters, and your survivors shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewels. Thus I will put an end to your lewdness and your whoring begun in the land of Egypt, so that you shall not lift up your eyes to them or remember Egypt any more." Now, after watching how God was displeased with Israel for turning to the Assyrians, Judah, under King Ahaz, did the same thing. They turned to the Assyrians. Not only that, but he had their altar. Listen closely, I'm going to show you this. King Ahaz not only turned to the Assyrians, after watching how God had judged the northern kingdom because of that, and the prophets were saying this is why this is happening, and after watching the northern kingdom be taken captive by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom turns to the, north, to the Assyrians as well. And King Ahaz copied, he had the altar to the false gods that was in Damascus, Syria, copied and brought into the temple of God. There was an altar to a false god in Damascus, Syria, that he saw when he went to the Assyrians. And he liked it so much, he had people copy it. And he brought it. Well, let's just read about it. Don't take my word for it. Go to 2 Kings again. 2 Kings chapter 16. Second King, 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. It says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, his, and his, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offer, offering. Did you catch that? He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but he could not conquer them, but could not conquer him. And at that time, Rezin, the king of Syria, recovered Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. And the Edomites came to Elath, where, the, where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker, and he killed Rezin. 
When King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, he saw the altar that was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern exact in all its details. Now, if you were to go on and read, which we're not going to take the time to do, you're going to see that not only did he have it copied and another one just like it built and put in the temple, the things that were in the temple, he just pushed off to the side and put this altar that was in Damascus. Not only did they turn to the Assyrians, as we read here in chapter 23, but the southern kingdom also lusted after the Babylonians and their idols too. And then God turned his back on Judah because of this, and he allowed the Babylonians to come and attack her, just as he allowed the Assyrians to demolish Israel. He gave them opportunity, gave them opportunity, gave them opportunity. And there's, a, there's a, something that, we go back to 2 Kings 23, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 23. I want you to take a look closely at verse 17 and verse 28. In verse 17 of chapter 23, it says, And the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoring lust. After she was defiled by them, she turned from them in disgust. So who, who turned from the Babylonians in disgust after she had been defiled by them? Judah. The southern kingdom realized, oh, gross. This isn't what we wanted. Go to verse 28. In verse 28, for thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate, into the hands from those whom you turned in disgust. She's now realizing we're not liking this as much. But guess what? Too late. You ever heard someone say you made your bed lie in it? There comes a point where if God has decided judgment has come, it doesn't matter how sick you are of what it is. If the judgment's coming, the judgment's coming. And so God turns his back on Judah because of this and allows the Babylonians now to come and attack her, just as he, as he allowed the Assyrians to demolish Israel. Don't miss, though, if you remember from our study all the way through Ezekiel, we've been going and looking at Jeremiah. Was the attack of the Babylonians swift and all at one time? How, how long had it been going on? I'm sorry, 586 is when it ultimately finishes. It started in 605. Then in 597, there was another wave. In 588, they started the final siege, and it ultimately ended two years later in 586 when they were ultimately removed. God was merciful in the fact that the Babylonians came over a period of years in three different waves. They took Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is in the first wave. And then in 597, Ezekiel and his wife and the 10,000 captives in the next wave. And I want you to understand that I don't know how God is going to do it if a judgment is coming on our nation. But let me just say this to you. God is still merciful in the whole process of judgment. He's still not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And as you study the scriptures, you'll find that even though God judged the nation, there were individuals in that nation whom he spared through the process. Again, keep turning a sensitive ear to the Holy Spirit. You're going to see as we get a little bit later on in our study tonight, near the end, that there's something for us to understand as well. As we just look at what God did to the nation of Israel back at that time, there's a message for us as well. So just keep that in mind as we get closer to where we're going to go. Go to Ezekiel 23 again. Look at verses 28 through 35. Oh, by the way, as you're turning there, you, when the Babylonians took captives, many times they would disfigure their captives by cutting off their noses and their ears. You read that, didn't you? God said they're going to cut off your noses and your ears. If you do some study, you'll find 
they would do that to most of their captives. They would disfigure them by just totally removing their nose and removing their ears. By the way, they could still breathe and they could still hear, but they were not pretty to look at. Ezekiel 23, verses 28 through 35, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'll deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate, into the hands of those from whom you turned in disgust. And they shall deal with you in hatred and take away all the fruit of your labor and leave you naked and bare. And the nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered for your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you because you played the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. You have gone the way of your sister. Therefore, I will give her cup, her cup into your hand. Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink your sister's cup that is deep and large. You shall be laughed at and held in derision, for it contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, a cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink it and drain it out and gnaw its shards and tear your breasts. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and your whoring. Now, God had decided that Judah would drink the cup that Israel had already drunk. But now the cup that Judah's going to drink is even bigger and more severe. So we're going to deal with what does he mean by drink the cup? Go with me to Psalm 75. As you're turning there, as you're about to see from many passages, we're going to look at like three or four, maybe five. We'll see how, how, much, how many we look at. Drinking the cup refers to receiving God's wrath. Psalm 75, look at verse 8. Again, keep this in mind because it's going to be pretty cool when you see how this all plays out. Drinking the cup refers to receiving God's wrath. Psalm 75, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed. He pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. What is God giving the wicked of the earth to drink? His wrath. The cup is a cup of his wrath. Go to Isaiah 51. Look at verses 17 through 23. Isaiah 51, verse 17. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering, there is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword, who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over you. And you have, and you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Here we see a prophecy that as God pours out his wrath upon Israel, there comes a point where he removes that wrath and then turns it on all their tormentors. And we know that's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Go ahead, Alan. Would that cup of wrath apply to the third cup of the Seder? Um, 
I don't know the Seder well enough to be able to answer that question. So I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'd have to defer to someone with a little bit more Jewish background than I have. But that's a very interesting question. Well, you're going to see a cup that it refers to that will make a whole lot of sense to us in just a second. But I wish I could answer your question. I can't. Go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25, look at verses 15 through 29. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. He said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and its kings and officials to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as at this day. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, his servants, his officials, all his people and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the land of Uz and the, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron and the remnants of Ashdod, Edom, Moab and the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the ting, kings of Sidon and the kings of the coastland across the sea. Dedan, Tima, Buz, and all who cut the corners of their hair, all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert, and all the kings of Zimri, and all the kings of Elam, and all the kings of Media, and all the kings of the north, far and near, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth, and after them the king of Babylon shall drink. So we, we, we know what time period he's talking about here, don't we? This is the tribulation period, and this is the very, very end. All the nations are going to drink the wine of his wrath, and ultimately... The king of Babylon, and we know who that is now, don't we, from our study of Revelation? It's the Antichrist. Remember the Antichrist headquarters I showed you from Zechariah 5, 5 is going to be moved to Babylon. And when Revelation 17 and 18 talks about the future destruction of Babylon, it's talking about Babylon, Babylon. And the king of Babylon at that time is going to be the Antichrist. And after the king of Babylon shall drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink and be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword that I'm sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. For behold, I begin to work a disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished. For I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. So guess what? At some point, we're going to get it too as a nation. And we'll be deserving when God brings that, that wrath. The question is, individually, will you be spared that cup? Oh, go to Matthew 26. I got good news for you. Go to Matthew 26. Look at verses 36 through 47. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the place, sorry, and he came to, to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You remember Jesus prayed, Lord, if there's any way that I can avoid drinking this cup, I'm for it. Nevertheless, not my will. What was that cup that he did not want to drink, folks? The wrath of God on sin. Oh, that's why I have good news. Go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, look at verses 1 through 6. Who's believed? What he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, the scripture, the prophecies, the Bible has shown us all along that God had provided a way for man to avoid the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And that is God himself providing the sacrifice. God himself will provide the ram or the lamb for the sacrifice. God himself will provide for the sins of mankind. And we all know 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became what? Sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. The wrath of God is going to be poured out, but you can avoid it. Will we have to drink this cup? Not if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, because he has already drank it for you. But if you reject the offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, you're in essence saying, no, I won't take him drinking the cup for me. I'll drink it myself. No, you don't want to do that. Hell is real. The wrath of God is real. And in a day and age today when preachers don't want to talk about it, we need to know because it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One brings understanding. And we in the church today need to remember the fear of the Lord and the terror of the Lord. The Bible says it's the terror of the Lord that actually compels us to share the gospel. Folks, listen closely. God will pour the full cup of his wrath on all sin. He's already done it. And his son drank every bit. And when they tried to give him an antidote, if you will, or the Novocaine while he was on the cross, what did he say? No. He took it fully. And he drank the cup of God's wrath. But if you will not believe that what he did covers you and receive it by faith for yourself, you are storing up for yourself what? Wrath. The wrath of God that is coming. Go back to Ezekiel 23. Look at verses 36 through 49. 
The Lord said to me, Son of man, will you judge Ohola and Oholiba? Declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. With their idols they have committed adultery, and they have even offered up to them for food the children whom they had borne to me. Moreover, this they have done to me. They have defied, defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slaughtered their children and sacrificed to their idols on the same day, they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And behold, this is what they did in my house. They even sent for men to come from afar, to whom a messenger was sent. And behold, they came. For them you bathed yourselves, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch with a table spread before it, on which you had placed my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her. And with men of the common sort, drunkards were brought from the wilderness, and they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I said of her who was worn out by adultery, now they will continue to use her for a whore, even her. For they have gone into her as men go into a prostitute. Thus they went into Ahola and Aholiba, lewd women. But righteous men shall pass judgment on them with the sentence of adulteress and with the sentence of women who shed blood, because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, bring up a vast host against them and make them an object of terror and a plunder and a host and the host shall stone them and cut them down with their swords, and they shall kill their sons and their daughters and burn up their houses. Thus I will put an end to the lewdness in the land, that all women may take warning and not commit lewdness as you have done. And they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty for your sinful idolatry, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now as God finishes his pronouncement of judgment in this chapter, there are a couple of semi-hidden truths in these verses that I want to bring out in the time we have left tonight. These are just random things that just jumped off the page at me as I was looking and praying over these verses. The first one is this. Your children were born for God. I'm going to say it to you again, and I want you to read it in verse 37. Your children were born for God. Look at verse 37 again. For they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. With their idols they have committed adultery, and they have even offered up to them for food the children whom they had borne to me. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but the scripture is very clear that everything that has been made has been made for who? In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, to him, everything is for him and through him and by him and to him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, not anything was made except made by him and it's for him. Everything has been created by God for God. But I want you to see Malachi chapter 2. Go to Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Malachi chapter 2, look at verses 13 through 15. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts with it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was this God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. As God was showing the nation of Israel, one of the reasons why that God wasn't hearing their prayers anymore was because of the fact that they had been divorcing each other. 
and acting like the rest of the world when it came to marriage. Actually, the scripture says in the book of Peter that he tells husbands, make sure that you're treating your wives right so that nothing hinders your prayers. What is God seeking, though? It says right here, what is God seeking? Godly children, godly offspring. Hopefully you remember, or you maybe did this, that you had a baby dedication service where you gave this child to the Lord. Well, that means he gets to do with them what he wants. Some of you struggle with letting go sometimes. And I just say to you in love, they weren't given to you. You were given a responsibility for a season to train them and to point them to him. But the children have been given to you, but they were really created for him. They were, your children were born for God. And that's why we need to continually remind ourselves. A few times over the years as a pastor, I've had to remind myself and people in the church of the baby dedication service. Because as we get older, we sometimes take them back, don't we? Over and over. We have to remind ourselves, Lord, they were born to you. I want you to see something else here. Go back to Ezekiel 23 and look at verse, 20, verse 43. God cared for Israel and Judah, even though they had been unfaithful and they were still, but even though they've been unfaithful, they were still special to him. Look at verse 43 and how it's worded. Then I said of her who was worn out by adultery, now they will continue to use her for a whore, even her. Do you see it? Do you, do you hear the heart of God in there? Even as he's judging, he still hurts because he loves. Remember, even though God's wrath is still being poured out, it doesn't make his love go away. He is God. He is all love. He is full wrath. And when he's pouring out his wrath, his love is still there. And as he was giving, well, a few of you parents have said this, this hurts me more than it hurts you. There's that mindset that we see in this passage. As God was pouring out his judgment on Judah and on Israel, he still hurt for them. As he watched them suffer the consequences of their choices, he still hurt for them. The father in the prodigal son story, who the son came to him and said, I don't want to wait until you die to get my inheritance. You're dead to me now. The father in that story gives it to him and lets him go. Remember, we've already talked about this. He will hand you over and let you do what you want to do. If you're not going to listen, go get your fill. Go get it, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, hand this one over to Satan. What's Satan going throughout the earth looking to do, the scripture says? Looking for someone to devour and to maul. And sometimes... God has to, because he knows that's the only way we'll learn, give us over to our shameful lust. But when he does that, he's not sitting back and going, ha, 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 oh, look what's happening to them. Hey, look at the, yeah, they're getting, it hurts him. It hurts him. And as he watched these nations do these things to his people, he hurts. And he hurts when you and I walk in disobedience. Then why does he do it? Mom and dad, if it really hurts you more than it hurts me, why are you spanking me? Well, the answer is in Hebrews chapter 12. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verses 5 and following. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Some of your translations say encouragement. <clears throat> My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Because this, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of our spirits and live? For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good. Then we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Why was God pouring out his judgment on Israel? So that they would repent. If they chose not to respond appropriately to the reason why he sent the judgment and the discipline, then they'd have to receive the full cup of his wrath. But until that day, there's still opportunity. Until that day, there's still opportunity to be saved. Until that day, there's still opportunity to repent and to come back. And that prodigal son, whom the father let him go off and get his fill. By the way, did he have a blast? Not for long, did he? Pleasures of sin are only for a season. And then after a while, he realized, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be. And he realized, this, I want to go home. What was the father doing the whole time he was out? He was not only praying, he was, if you know, the scripture shows us he was watching for his return. Because when the son comes back, while he was still far off, the father saw him. The father must not have been sitting in his house saying, well, I'll just wait till he comes back and knocks on the door. He was out there watching for the day when he would come back. And your heavenly father is the same way too. You got children that are rebellious right now. You got prodigals right now. Pray for them. Bring them before the throne of God on a daily basis, on a regular basis. Understand his heart for them. Understand his mercy and pray that they come to their senses. Oh, by the way, that means you might have to stop preaching to them. See, a lot of you think that if you just say the right thing, they'll turn around. Sometimes you've got to just let them go get their fill. But you can be talking to the one who cares even more than you do and the one to whom they were born for. He created them for him. Bring them to him again. There's always a remnant. Look at verse 45. Chapter 23 again of Ezekiel. Look at verse 45. But righteous men shall pass judgment on them with the sentence of adulteress and with the sentence of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. Who are these righteous men and where are they going to come from? Who are these righteous men and where are they going to come from? The remnant. It's, they're going to have to come from Israel. These righteous men that are going to pass judgment on them are going to have to come from Israel. Romans chapter 11. Go to Romans chapter 11 real quick. Look at verses 1 through 6. I want you to see this. Don't, don't lose sight of what God's doing here. Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people, meaning the Jews? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. There's a remnant. There's always been a remnant of Jews who are righteous because of their faith in God through Christ Jesus. There's always been a remnant. And as you know, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, there's going to be at the beginning of the tribulation period, what? How many? 144,000 what? Jewish witnesses who are going to go out into all the world. On top of that, I believe it's Moses and Elijah, but there's going to be two witnesses who are going to be standing in Jerusalem for the first three and a half years proclaiming the gospel, preaching to the Jews, even though they've already just signed this covenant with this false Christ, Antichrist, the one who's going to turn on them at the midpoint, and the two-thirds are going to be killed, and one-third's going to escape into the wilderness. Listen closely. There's going to be a remnant. There's always been a remnant, and God said that there's going to be righteous, righteous men who are going to pass judgment on the people of Israel because of their wickedness. And they're there. And one day they're coming. I pray that the 144,000 are alive today. Because that means our time's getting close. Boy, wouldn't that make you pray for the people of Israel that they come to faith? But that's another whole message for another time. There's a last one, and here's what we're going to close with tonight. Look at Revel uh, sorry, Ezekiel 23, verse 49. God is a jealous God who will make us know that he is God. Verse 49, and they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty for your sinful idolatry, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. One day every knee's going to what? When every tongue's going to... By the way, that word confess means agree. One, tongue, one day every knee's going to bow, and every tongue's going to agree that Jesus is Lord. By the way, every tongue, even the ones in hell, are going to acknowledge it. So if God will make you know that he's Lord, don't miss this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, as Peter's talking about the judgment that's coming on the whole world, he makes this other statement as well. He said it's time for judgment to begin with the household of faith. He's still dealing with us right now. And as we've seen throughout this whole place, this whole passage, this whole chapter, in some terms that have made some of us a little bit squeamish. We haven't heard that word whore that much since our sailor days, right, Ken? <laughs> but at the same time, why was God using that term? Because these people were turning to other things besides him, and he sees that as unfaithfulness. Do you not know that you were bought with a price? You're not your own. You belong to somebody else. You, as Paul said, I betrothed you to one husband. You have become the bride of Christ as the church. And tonight as we close, I want to close with James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. This is that thing that I referred to earlier that we need to remember how this applies to us today. It's easy for us to sit back and say, oh, the world's going to get a judgment. The world's going to be getting the cup of God's wrath. Don't miss the fact that God deals in love, but very clearly with his children first until he takes us home. Is he going to purify Israel? Yes. But what's he going to do before he purifies Israel? Who's he going to purify? 
his church, his bride. James chapter 4, listen to verses 4 through 10, and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Don't think of anybody else. Let God speak to you right now as the scripture says, you adulterous people, written to the church. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Well, I don't think it's that big of a deal, Jim. The scripture says it is. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or you just suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirits that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Folks, please keep short accounts with the Holy Spirit as He convicts you. When He shows you something, don't tune it out. Because the more and more and more you learn how to tune out the Holy Spirit when he convicts you of things, the easier it gets for you to have a hard heart. And why is he showing you these things? Because he loves you. And he wants what's best for you. And he wants you to be his pure bride. He's going to present you before himself one day without spot, without blemish, and with great joy. But in the meantime, he's working on some things in you and me. And so just as much as he saw the nation of Israel looking to other things besides him as whoredom, what does he see it according to the scriptures when the church looks to anything else besides him? Adultery. Adultery. Whoredom. Let's pray together. Father, as we close tonight, I just feel like we need to just stop and say, first off, thank you so much for the fact that Jesus took the cup of your wrath for us. As we look at these things and we see some of these things that we read about, we realize that we are just as deserving. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Yet, thank you for opening our eyes to this truth that Jesus took the full cup of your wrath for the sins of the world, yet it's for only those who will receive it by faith who get to have it applied to their heart. Just like that lamb was put to death in the Passover, but it was only the doorposts which received the blood who got passed over. Lord, in the same way, only the hearts of the people who truly receive what you have done through Christ will be those who receive the passing over of the angel of death. And so, Lord, thank you first and foremost for the fact that now we have been spared your wrath and everything that we have coming from your hand to us now is from your love, even if it's a discipline or a, cha a chastisement or a shaping, or a molding, or a pruning even. Father, may we respond appropriately. If there's ways that we have become friends of the world, and we saw what that did to the nation of Israel, and maybe happening to our nation as a whole, Lord, show us individually whether or not we are becoming friends of this world in any way as well. And in every way you show us, may we repent and head in the opposite direction and receive grace. Father, in any way in which we're double-minded, open our eyes. And thank you for the fact that when you do so, you do so in love. Not condemning, not shaming, 
but you do so because it's for our best. And so, Lord, may we believe that what you have for us is better than anything the world offers. In whose name we pray, Jesus, the Lord of our lives, whose name we pray. Amen.